Uh, it is a message that I am so excited to share with you. It's a standalone. We're taking a, a pause from Faith to Flourish to remind ourselves kind of the mandate of our church. The title of my message is The Making of a Great Servant. The Making of a Great Servant. And I want you to catch this real quick, that throughout Jesus' ministry, he had this rhythm with his disciples, and he does it with us too if you read the word. He will redirect or rebuke his disciples. And the redirection from Jesus would be simply this. They would be passionate about something, but Jesus is like, ah, your passion's in the wrong place. Redirect it here. And then Peter would sometimes do silly things like, Jesus, you shouldn't die for all mankind because I like hanging out with you. And then Jesus would be like, you do not know the spirit you speak of. Step away from me, Satan. That's a rebuke. I can't redirect that. That is pure selfishness. Stop it. I rebuke that. And so today we're going to look at Mark 10. This is where it's kind of birthed out of, uh, making of a great servant. There's this redirection moment uh, to his disciples. His disciples want to be great and have a great life. Who wants to be great and have a great life? Raise your hand. That's a good thing to desire. It's a kingdom quality. Greatness is from the kingdom, not from this world. And so you have um, these disciples, and here's how it plays out. Ready? We'll dive in. Then James and John, sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. Man, I, you know what I love about the, a lot of disciples? Man, they didn't, like, I love being around people. I know what they're thinking. You know what I'm saying? I can't stand being around somebody like, do they hate me? Do they like me? What do they want? What's going on? The disciples were just like, I want whatever you give me. Give me whatever I want, Jesus. I would think it. I would never say it to Jesus, okay? So that's what they say. And they replied, let one of us sit at your right hand and the other in your left. Stop. One of the first questions you have to ask yourself if you want to be a great servant, if you want to be used to do great things, is do you want to change your world or do you want to change the world? And I believe that we are called as a church to change the world. And there has to come a moment in your journey of life where you realize I've came to church for mostly myself, for myself to feel better, for myself to get a little pick-me-up and do this, but that is not what church is intended for for the rest of your life. It's good to come and receive for a season, but you're only trying to change the things in your life Church gets really special. Your life gets really special when you say, no longer am I just trying to change my world. I'm trying to change the world. Do you hear what I'm saying? And so Jesus redirects them. They say, okay, you want your own world changed, but I want you to change the world. Let's take that greatness that is so small and so self-centered, and let's take that greatness and make it outward and make it gospel-centric. And here's what he says. You don't know what you're asking. Can you drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with, but to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those uh, from whom they have been prepared. When the ten heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. Jesus called them together and said, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentile world lord it over people, and the high officials exercise authority over them. Stop. Basically what he's saying is, hey, you know how culture rolls? Culture's all about getting yours, about getting the next thing. There's always an agenda with culture. And so we have to understand that even the culture we live in and, and the way that we try to fight for promotions and the things that we fight for, even to fight for uh, applause from mankind, this is what Jesus says to you about that. Not so with you. Everybody say, not so with you. We're going to be different. We're not going to lord our position over people. We're not going to lord our lives over people. He says, instead, whoever wants to become great. Everybody say, great. There are some great servants in the house. God's making great servants. Come on, great among you. You must be your, you must be your, uh, must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be a slave of all. Let me read that again. Instead of whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be a slave of all. That's a pretty strong statement, be a slave of all. And really what Jesus is saying in an extreme statement is people must become a priority. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. 
So Jesus says, you want to be great. You want to, you want to change your world. I'm going to redirect you and say, no, I'm going to make you somebody who's great to change the world. And think about these guys. They were fishermen. They were tax collectors. If Peter actually could see that we still talk about him today because he decided to become a servant, a servant of all, to make people the priority because they're a priority to Jesus and do something great with his life to leave a legacy. After the year is gone, 2018 will not be rewind. Will you look back and look at your bank account and say, hmm, I'm so proud of myself. Will you look back at your promotions and say, hmm, my promotions are going to thank me later. Or we look back and say, man, this last year I impacted 10 people's life because I was a servant and that's where greatness is found. Your legacy is who you serve. The legacy is who you impact. Greatness is found in that. John C. Maxwell says, you go on a walk and you think you're a leader, but you look back, uh, backwards and you think you're leading somebody, but nobody's around. You're not leading anybody. You're just on a walk. And a lot of people think they're leaders and they're impacting the world. But if you think you're doing great things and you're looking around and you can only call two people in your phone, you got to ask yourself, man, Jesus did not intend this for my life. I have given my time to positions. I've given my time to hobbies. I've given my time to my flesh. And because of that, this year has gone by and I don't have the wealth in the bank account that God promised me because I didn't invest in the right bank account. You want greatness, start serving people. You start serving people, it affects everything in your life. It affects your emotions. It will affect your pocketbook in all the right ways. It is more blessed to give than it is to receive. It will affect the way that you see life because it gives you a different perspective. When you live in me planet and you only serve yourself, every bad thing that happens, it becomes this 10 instead of a two because you're not around anybody else who's struggling. So your struggles are a 10. You surround yourself with other people. You realize, wow, I'm in this with other people. My thing that I thought was that big, it wasn't that big actually. That's just the intro. Let's pray. Lord, uh, we love you. Uh, I'm fired up this morning. Come on now. I woke up at 4.30. Had a, I, had, I had one of those soup cups that you're supposed to have soup in, but I drank it with coffee instead. Uh, so I maybe had a few more extra cups. But Lord, this morning, I pray right now that my words would fall to the floor and that your words are sore. Oh, Lord, we need you. The enemy's trying to sell us a bill of goods to invest our life in everything but the things you call us to invest in. We're supposed to invest our time in you and in people. And if we do those two things, we will become rich, rich people. We will have great, great lives. And so, Father, I pray that our eyes would be open to the opportunity ahead of us. And everybody said? Amen. So the making of a great servant. First thing that you need to know is that you were made for greatness. When you preach a message like this, and I'm telling you to you in the room right now, you, say me. me. When I say something like this, you may be saying, oh, the person to my right and to my left, they're the ones that are the charismatic, loud, funny ones, or smart ones, or whatever. They're the ones that God's going to use. No, stop that mindset. Here's what God says about your life. Don't, 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 I don't want to hear anything else except what God says about your life and what he can do. You ready for this? Ephesians 3.20. Now all glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely. Everybody say infinitely. infinitely. There'll be a lot of participation today. Infinitely more than we might ask or think. Stop. Here's what he says in Ephesians 3.20. You are made for greatness. And the greatness you're made for is infinitely greater than you could ever imagine. What I could do through your life, just saying, if you give me your life, consecrate yourself to me and see what I could do. Set your life apart and actually wake up and say, God, my life is yours. Use me to impact this world. God says, I can do infinitely greater than you could ever imagine with your life. At the end of your life, you can look back and say, I could have never imagined. Peter, who was fishing for fish and the world walked by, think about this. He said, I am now yours. And God did infinitely more than Peter ever could have thought.
James, John, and so on and so forth. Man, jump all in and believe that God can do something infinitely greater. You are made for greatness. It's the first thing you need to know if you're, uh, you're going to be a great servant. Second one is making him a great servant. Great servants are all about the mission, not a position. They're all about the mission, not about a position. In this last seven months and in ministry, I've had this tension that I feel from people that I feel like people are waiting for me to give them some big title, some position at our church. All right, I'm here to do something great, but until you give me that great title, I'm just going to kind of sit on the sidelines. The problem is, is that Jesus didn't call us to a position. He called us to a mission. Great servants understand that they're actually called to a mission and not a position in the church. I do not need to come up to you and say, I dub thee um, title person over this age group. You are now in charge of all the men. Have fun, you know. You are the men's pastor. Instead of being dubbed the men's pastor, go actually go serve one person that's brand new who's a guy. I mean, I feel called to help men become great men. Go serve one person. That's the mission. Let me, let me keep going. I want to catch this real quick. You don't need a big title to make a big impact. People don't follow titles, they follow people. You hear what I'm saying this morning? We are not specialists with a position. We are servants with a mission. We are not specialists with a position. We are servants with a mission. I want you to catch this real quick. If you walk into a palace, there are things you can expect in a palace. You walk in, you'll see somebody sitting on a throne, and you'll see people... Waving them, and they're like a little, okay, perfect, you know, and they're like, oh, make me a sandwich, Tyler. Okay, I'll go make you a sandwich, you know, you know, and tell me something funny, Tyler. Okay, I got a joke. Uh, um, people on a, uh, sit on, on, uh, on authority seats. You walk into a business. You'll see big offices, small offices, different floors. You walk into a church. You should only see servants. You should not see people sitting on the, the chairs and saying, I don't do that because I've got a different position. Oh, I don't know. That's not where I go because no, my, this is my world over here. I don't go over to that world. No, you are a servant. When people walk in here, my prayer is that if there's their first time they're walking in at 7.30 or 8 a.m., they only see servants. And they're like, where is the senior pastor at? You know, the senior pastor's over there trying to lift that TV, the one with his pain, vein popping out going, and the other three guys are like, yeah, okay, you good, Tyler? I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. I'm the weakest one out of the four. It's all good. But then they go, that's the pastor. Catch this. Do not despise small beginnings, for the Lord rejoices to see the work begin. Another word for rejoice is, do not despise small beginnings, for the Lord celebrates to see the work begin. Small things. I think one of the things that stops everybody in this room, including myself at times, is, I want to do something great for you today, God. All right, I got fired up. Ty was yelling a lot today for some reason. I don't know why I'm yelling a lot. I just am, okay? I'm pumped. But I want to do something great, God. What is it? Should I go to the restaurant and stand on a chair and say, God is real. Everybody stop eating. I'm going to bless your food. Father, bless their food. I did something great today. Because we're thinking so big. And God is saying, I delight in small beginnings. I'm going to go talk to that person today. And I'm going to encourage them. I'm going to give somebody a text message today. I'm going to be a greeter on the, uh, on the welcome team on Sundays, and I'm going to say hello to somebody and welcome them with a smile, and God will take that small thing and do something big in their heart because I let them taste and see the Lord is good. He is the God of small things. You know what God's been doing since we started church? Using all the small things. 
One small interaction, one small, small group, one small meeting, one small conversation, one small lunch, one small service that's an hour and 15 minutes long. Today, an hour and 50. I'm sorry, but usually an hour and 15 minutes. One little small building called the Garden of Heather Farm and another small building. He is the God of small things. One of the greatest things that holds people back from doing something big is they don't want to start small. I see in our culture like crazy right now. Nobody wants to do the job before the job. Everybody just wants the big office. And it's happening in the church now. Nobody wants to do the small things that makes actually the church the thing. The way that this church will be, oh, where it will be special is that if you come to church saying, Lord, I pray you use me in a small way today because you do a lot with a little. If I pray with one person today, use that small prayer to move mountains because small prayers can do big things. I'm not saying small faith. I'm just saying the things that we think are little steps, God can take a baby step and actually break down a mile of destruction the enemy did because of your little simple encouragement. Don't let the enemy stop you from doing the small things. I'm going to build on this real quick. A great servant owns a responsibility, owns the responsibility of the experience of the kingdom. God calls you an ambassador of heaven. An ambassador is somebody who you will meet and actually show you the experience or who they are and how they operate. There's a verse, and it's one of the uh, more famous verses, but Psalm 34, 8. Taste and see the Lord is good. Stop. Taste and see the Lord is good. Let's break this down real quick. Now, we do this all the time in culture. Uh, Shane, who led worship today, did a great job, right? Give it up for Shane. Come on now. You're a good, good father. That's who you are. That's who you are. Aren't you glad Shane did it, right? Don't laugh. I'm tone deaf. It's devastating. Um, okay, so Shane and Carrie, they have a favorite restaurant in Napa. It's named Mustards. Anybody been in Mustards? Mustards, yeah, yeah. So we're, uh, they're like, you have to come see Mustards. And basically what they're saying to me is, taste and see that Mustards is good. You got to come. You got to see it. Because they talked about it, so we waited to go with them. I show up to Mustards. I sit down at Mustards. And I order, I'm like, so first time there, I go hard to the paint and everything. So I'm like, uh, what's your best appetizer? Okay, we'll take that one and that one and bring them, you know? Uh, and so they bring the calamari. I say, oh, calamari. I love dipping calamari in a sauce. It's fried calamari. Uh, can I get the sauce for the calamari? The lady looks at me, she goes, it's in the calamari. And I was like, well, whatever sauce is in the calamari, could I have a side of it to dip it in the, the sauce? And again, I don't think that's a terrible request. I, and you know me, I'm pretty finesseful. I'm a nice guy, all right? Yeah. And uh, she looks at me, and so I said, can I just get a side of the sauce instead? And she goes, oh. And like, I don't even know who shakes their head. You know how much effort it takes to shake your head? Like, give me an eye roll, but I've never had a head shake. You know what I'm saying? Like, oh. like what just, I felt funny. I felt weird. My back got all hot and sweaty, okay? That's when I know I'm kind of stressed out. I was like, oh my gosh, I got the back sweat, okay? And so goes out, gets my sauce, puts it on the table. And I thought, I think she's done bullying me. She puts it down and she goes, good luck, and just walks away. And Shane and Carrie are like, I promise. And this was so funny. Even before we go, they're like, this place has the best service. You're going to be amazed. Like, they're the best, sir. I mean, the best waiters, the best everybody. And so they're like, you guys, I'm telling you, this, this has never happened. Like, this is never, I'm like, yeah, okay, okay, okay. And so like, all right, here's the deal. We're going to a great restaurant. I tell Rachel, order the best thing on the menu, girl. I want to try it too. So she gets like uh, some kind of steak and she gets the thing and then I get uh, pork ribs. Um, and so I get the pork ribs and food was okay. It was solid. Wasn't that great? This was good. 
uh, Rachel's steak. She, she ordered it for medium plus. We don't really like a lot of pink. She ordered medium plus. They took the steak and she cut it open. This is no joke. I have three witnesses. That thing was purple and red in the middle. She had to send it back. My wife does not send anything back. She would rather eat garbage than send it back. I'm the send back guy. Okay, I'm, I'm the, who, who, who can send something back? Raise your hand. Who you'd rather just die a slow death and not send it back? You're like, oh, confrontation, don't make me send it back. You could order a burger and they're like, hey, here's some chicken. You're like, I didn't even order it. Hmm, good chicken, okay. <laughs> me, like if I order a burger and fries and you give me a burger and coleslaw, I'll just say, oh, actually, I ordered fries instead of coleslaw. I don't think it's a big deal. Like, oh, yeah, we'll fix that. It's easy. I got my fries. But Rachel's like, I can't, I can't eat this. I'm like, babe, you got to send it back. She's like, yeah. So she sends it back. Terrible experience. We get in the car. Shane and Carrie met us up at Napa. And we get in the car and I look at Rachel and I go, we ain't never going back to Mustard's. <laughs> we out. <laughs> to redeem them a little bit, I, this isn't even part of the message, but I feel like if I'm going to blow up a restaurant, uh, Carrie emailed the manager or the owner and the owner was like, I'm so sorry, that person needs more coaching, uh, but we'd love for you to come back and have a free meal on us. So I'm going to go one more time. <laughs> <laughs> if you insist. Okay. <laughs> The whole idea, Clary, I'll never do it, but then free comes in, and I'm like, never mind. <laughs> You're hilarious, God. And now I'm going to say I'm never going back unless it's completely free. i got to put that in there. All right, let's, let's, let's tie this in real quick. There are people in the house right now, and you're like, man, you've got to come to Mission Church. You've got to come check it out. It's awesome. The people are great. The people are amazing. But what happens when a church starts to get a little bigger and a little older, is that we forget that there are people who are coming to church for the very first time, and it's unbelievably intimidating to walk into the church. Are they going to make me stand up and say all my sins? If it's your first time, we do that at the end of service, okay? <laughs> just, just kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. We got rid of that like a month ago. People were like, that's weird. Okay, we, don't, we don't do it all. I don't know. What, okay, I'm sorry. I got to stop. Reel it in, Johnson. Reel it in. You don't, have, you don't know how many things I stop saying all the time, but today the chip is kind of glitching, and I'm just, blech, okay? Anyways, you have no idea how many people are coming for the first time. There are people maybe in the house. You've come to church for the first time, had no idea what to expect. And the people are saying to them, taste and see how good God is at my church. They love Jesus, and I want you to experience Jesus. Do you know where experience beings God, God created you to experience things. He didn't give you taste buds so you wouldn't experience food. He didn't give you eyes so you couldn't experience beauty. He taught you and built you to experience life. And one of the ways that he wants to encounter your life is through experiences. And the ways he wants to experience your life is through his servants. He called his servants, me and you, to be people who would come up and be like a restaurant server and say, I'm so glad you're here. Can I help you with anything? Oh my gosh, your first time. So great to meet you. And at the end of the hour and 15 minutes of church, that they would have servant after servant come up to them with the greatest posture and the greatest climate of the kingdom. And they would leave church saying, I'm coming back next week. But what happens is we forget that it might be somebody's first time coming to church or they've been gone for 10 years because they were wounded and they come back to church for the first time and we don't know it's their first time and we look right by them and we don't say hi to them because here's what's happened. Have you ever been to a, a restaurant with bad service? I've, I've been there when they're understaffed with waiters. And you're sitting there, oh, I want to order some steak today. If anybody would just come to my table, I'd order a pizza, anything. Okay, I'll take a salad now. Just come to my table. <laughs> and you just sit there and wait and wait, and you never get waited on. You never get a taste of the food in the restaurant. 
Restaurants would be terrible if they are understaffed. Churches are terrible when they're under servants. When you don't have enough servants in the church, people come in and they don't know who the, what's going on because nobody's owning the mission of the church. If you're somebody who comes in and goes, nobody said hi to me, and you're a believer, stop saying that. Say hi to other people. You're now the servant. Sorry, you now work here. Boop, on you. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Trick on you. I know I said boop. It wasn't a cuss word, I promise. But people who have been servants for five years still come to church as they're the customer instead of the servant. Mm, okay. What's going on today? Is going to be a good message? It was solid. Worship? Ah, it was okay. Mm. Worship isn't for you, by the way. Okay? It's for God. All right? So you're like, mm, I like to worship. It's good today. We're not worshiping you, and we didn't plan the service around you. We planned it for Jesus. Okay? Can we just say that? I, I, feel, I feel like I got no chip today. It's going to get dangerous. Catch this. A great servant owns a responsibility. If you're sitting next to somebody, and this is your church, you are the one saying, the person, right, I'm going to make sure they have a great time. I'm going to make sure that they enjoy church today and experience God today. They're going to taste and see that God is good. Because I'm not good. No man is good. But Jesus is good who lives in me. And they're going to experience the Jesus that lives in me today. Own the responsibility with us. Own it. Start living out the mission of Jesus. Let's go on. I'm only in two points. I already have ten. I'm not even kidding. We'll see what I can do here. I'll, I'll, I'll make some quick ones. I'll just kind of overview it. A great servant understands about their character, not their charisma. Jesus, when you talk about Jesus, nobody talks about his charisma in the sense of like, oh, man, when he walked into a room, they're like, oh, my gosh, he's hilarious. No, he was the friend of sinners. Sorry, I don't know why I said hilarious that way. He was the friend of sinners. He was a servant. He was kind. He was loving. I think a lot of people are held back becoming a great servant because they think they have to be the charismatic one. People don't follow charisma, they follow character. People are fans of personas, but they follow people. I have a pastor down in LA, he's one of the more well-known pastors, if you put it that way. He's got you know, hundreds of thousands of followers or whatever on Instagram. His church is you know, big in LA. And he starts another service. And I'm thinking, you got hundreds of thousands of followers on Instagram, you're starting another service, because man, if that's how many fans you got, you got people come to your service. So we're talking, I'm like, man, how's your new campus doing? How's your new church doing? Man, we got a few hundred people coming. And it's just it's struggling. It's kind of going down. And, and I realized that nobody, nobody follows a persona. They follow people. And it takes time. It's the long play. It's the one act at a time, one conversation at a time. It's us going out every single week to the same coffee shop and being kind to the same person for three months. And finally... Because of your character and who you are, they open up to you. It's not because you walk in, you're charismatic. If I'm being honest, this world is full of charisma and it's going down the drain. What it needs is people of character that are committed to their coffee shop and to the local grocery store and to where they work and saying, I'm playing the long play here. I'm going to be faithful to today. I'm going to be a man of character, a woman of character. I'm going to love people. I'm going to be kind to people. I'm going to be gracious to people. I'm going to be selfless and not selfish. And hopefully in six months, people at my work, they're going to say, man, I want to follow that person because they have what I don't have, joy, peace, all the things I don't have. Charisma, people can find that anywhere. Character is now the famine in the land. We're going to have servants with great character. Let's keep going. 
Another thing that makes great servants is great servants are led by the Spirit. They're led by the Spirit. Proverbs 28.2 says this, When a country is rebellious, it has many rulers, but a ruler with discernment and knowledge remains order. But a ruler with discernment, where do you get discernment from? From the Spirit. It says this in Romans 8.14, For those who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. We live in a nation flooded with opinions, but desperately need truth. I would quote a simple quote, Learn from everyone, but copy no one. I believe that the thing that we have to do in this next season of our church is I think that we need to get more people in the throne room. And when I mean more people in the throne room, I mean that we have to have people that aren't going to Instagram and movies and culture to get their dreams, but they're actually people who are servants that are going to Jesus and getting their marching orders from the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And we're not copying anyone. We're learning from culture. It's good to learn, but we don't copy. Copy no one. Learn from everyone. Learn from their mistakes. Learn from their successes. But man, we need to get people into the word of God and start praying. And when they read and pray, they see stuff through the spirit saying, what do you need for this region? For Walnut Creek, for the East Bay, Alamo, Danville, Concord, Martinez, Moraga, Lafayette, and so on and so forth. Clayton. God, what do you have for them? And when you are led by the spirit, when you're yielded to God, watch how he uses you. Don't come to God with a game plan. Go to God and get the game plan. Great servants are led by the Spirit. Next one is this. Great servants have a work ethic. They work hard. This is my last point. I'm, I'll, I'm going to finish. Uh, now, if you guys want to come up to the front worship team, we're going to finish. Great servants have a work ethic. You've heard me say this before, but it's one of my favorite quotes. A lot of people have million-dollar dreams, but hundred-dollar work ethics. I, I love saying this right now. Everybody wants the pecs without the push-ups. It's driving me crazy. A great servant, one of their goals, you should have goals, not be competitive with anybody, but a great servant's going to have goals like this. I want to outwork and outpray everybody. I want to outserve and outpray everybody because that's what great servants do. I'm going to pray like nobody else is praying. I'm going to serve like nobody else is serving because when, just look at the flip side of this. Most people don't serve because they think the other person's serving. Most people don't welcome because they think somebody else is welcoming. Most people don't give at all because they think everybody else is giving. Most people don't forgive and don't do this because they think the other people are taking care of it. That is a terrible mindset that breaks the church down. But the servant says, I'm going to outpray and outserve everybody because if, it, if I'm the only one that's doing it, I'm going to make sure I do everything I can and God gets the most out of my life. Outwork is very simple. Proverbs 12, 24, diligent hands will rule, but laziness ends in forced labor. AKA, in this region right now, when the church is lazy, if I could just be honest, what is ruling in the East Bay region? Is the church in charge right now in the East Bay region? Is there reconciliation and peace and joy reigning in the East Bay region? No. We're in the darkest, brokenest region in all of America, stats show. It's the richest region with the most money, but it's the poorest region when it comes to relationships and emotions. And God is saying, if I could just find some workers. He called workers. He literally called workers, called servants, that would say, I'm going to outwork and outserve everybody. No longer will my worldly jobs and my worldly hobbies be more important than the kingdom. I'm not going to pass that responsibility on anymore. And the second thing is that we would outpray everyone. 
It says this in Luke 18, as Jesus approached Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard the crowd going by, he asked what was happening. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. Catch this picture. This is your opportunity, blind man. The man who heals is walking by you. This is our opportunity, Mission Church. You live once. You think your window is long? The Bible says it's but a breath, a fleeting shadow. You have one life, one chance. So here's what this man does. Let's learn from the blind beggar. He called out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Those who led the way rebuked him and told him to be quiet. I love this, and this is the way we're going to do it, church. But he shouted all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. I've got a picture of what this looks like. Put yourself in the Bible real quick. There's a crowd of people. Jesus is walking by. The people around him that are, oh, I'm with Jesus. Oh, yeah, yeah, I'm with this guy. We're amazing. Oh, yeah, yeah, we love everybody. Then a blind beggar yells, Son of David, have mercy on me. And they're like, shut up, man. Stop praying to God. Stop crying out to God. Jesus is in this crowd. And he doesn't listen to the people that tell him to be quiet. He doesn't listen to culture. He goes, no, this is my only opportunity. I don't know if he'll ever walk by again. Son of David, have mercy on me. And this is when it gets real special. Jesus stopped. Who's that man crying out? He ordered him, bring that man, whoever that, whoever that man is, bring him to me. So I don't know how far away this guy is, but Jesus heard his cry. It made the living God stop in his tracks, order his disciples, go get that man. Brings this man to the feet of Jesus, and here's what happens. What do you want from me? Jesus asked the man. I want to see. That's all the blind beggar wanted. He wanted to see. And man, our culture, they're crying out in every other way besides son of David, have mercy on me. The blind want to see the goodness of God. The blind want to see victory. The blind want to see freedom. The blind want to see reconciliation. The blind want to see restoration from everything that's happened in their life. They want to see it. So he says, what do you want from me? I want to see. And Jesus said, receive your sight. Your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight, praising God with all, all that he was. Stop. I wrote this down, and I want you to hear this real quick. I have a million-dollar dream. I want to see revival. I want to see it. I want to be a part of it. I want to pastor a church where people who come to church have million-dollar dreams with me that they want to see revival. But on the flip side of that million-dollar dream, I feel a pressing from God that I need to have a million-dollar work ethic when it comes to prayer. That I can't, oh, I want revival, but then never pray for revival. Oh, I want to see people saved, but never people are saved. Oh, I want peace, but I never pray for peace. I want a church that when they leave church on Sunday, that Monday morning before they leave the house, that they would cry out, Son of David, have mercy on the East Bay region. We're so broken as a region. Oh, depression and suicides are happening in the schools. Son of David, have mercy on our schools. Son of David, I, I see men, I was, I was at a golf tournament this weekend and it was me and my buddy who's a believer and nobody else was believers. I was surrounded by brokenness. I bawled my head off before I came to church and I was asking God, God, I have no idea how to reach those men. They found out I was a pastor and literally they were like, oh my gosh, there's the pastor. They didn't know how to talk to me. They didn't even want to be around me because they were so broken. They were afraid of the pastor. May they run to the pastor. 
because the pastor knows Jesus. Oh, son of David, have mercy on Mission Church. And you may be saying, Tyler, you're a little overboard right now. No, join in with the passion. Join in with the mission. Man, we cry out about raises. We cry out about what people did to us in the, on the freeway. I see people screaming all the time. You should have seen what they did to me on the freeway. I'm gonna freak out. I'll talk to me, how you doing? Oh, work, there's this guy at work, he's terrible. You can cry out about the person at work. You can cry out about the freeway. Cry out for revival. You're built to cry. I'm built to cry. And here's what's gonna happen. When the church cries out for revival, Jesus will stop in his tracks and he'll ask Mission Church, what do you want from me? We wanna see your sons and daughters come home. We wanna see brokenness restored. We wanna see sickness gone because you promised that the kingdom of heaven could reign today in our lives. Will you bow your heads with me?